welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Daniel Priestley. Daniel is an entrepreneur, best-selling author, and international speaker. And I cannot think of a book that I've recommended as many times as I have recommended Daniel's book, Key Person of Influence. So I listened to this book on Audible last year, and honestly, as well as being incredibly valuable, it was also validating for me as someone who has built a career essentially as a digital entrepreneur, someone who really advocates for everyone to be intentional about creating what I usually call a personal and professional brand. Daniel is not only an incredibly successful entrepreneur himself, but he also teaches others how to do what he has done in their industry and how to become a person of influence. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the importance of influence and what that really even means today. The current landscape for entrepreneurs and businesses and Gen Z, a generation of side hustlers, future opportunity and disruption. I have got so much to talk about with Daniel, and I know that this conversation is going to bring so much value. So please listen, learn and take action, implement the things that he tells you. And I promise you it will have an immeasurable impact. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm feeling great after that intro. <laughs> I should work in PR. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling all pumped up. I've, although a little bit of pressure. It's like, okay, what have I got to say? I've got to say something immeasurable. All right, I'm on it. All right, well, it's going to be great. Uh, a lot of people, I think a really great place to start actually would be that a lot of people who maybe consider themselves entrepreneurial, maybe they have a side hustle. When I talk to them about defining what they do, you know, what is their professional brand, what I kind of identify, what sets them apart, they find it incredibly difficult to, to do that. And then also to be able to tell other people in a clear way what they do and, and why they do it. So I thought that you'd be a great person to ask about this. Why is it important for us to I guess, firstly, identify what it is about us that is unique and, and how that can start our journey, I suppose, to becoming a key person of influence within our industry. Great question. So we live in a world where you're going to be bombarded with 50,000 things every single day, and you're going to see all sorts of opportunities and you're going to see all these different paths uh, ahead of you. And if you don't have a North Star, a way of like making decisions as to what's for you and what's not for you, then you're going to constantly be pulled off track. So like for somebody who is not sure at all what their purpose in life is and what, the, you know, what, um, what their vision is, what their mission is, what their values are, if you don't have any of those guiding principles, then you might just have someone say, oh, you should trade the stock market. And it's like, oh, okay. And then the next day, oh, you should be an influencer. And the next day you should do a YouTube channel. Uh, and then the next day, you should come and work at my marketing firm, right? So there's all these opportunities coming at you and you don't know which one you're going to pick and you do, you've got no way of kind of making decisions. As soon as you start figuring out what it is you want to achieve, then it, you can use it as a bit of a north star and you can say, all right, is that thing in alignment with what I'm trying to do? Is that thing in alignment with what I'm you know, trying to get out of life? So it starts allowing you to say no to many good sounding opportunities and start just focusing on the things that actually are good opportunities for you know for you so um you know so that's the first thing and i think it's really important to have a vision mission and values uh so a vision is what you want to see in the future and what kind of world you want to be part of creating 
uh, a mission is what you're what you're well placed to do like as in like what would be something you're very valuable at creating um, and values is how you want to show up um, mm -hmm. how you want to be in the world yeah and i think this idea that i mentioned about a professional personal brand so when i talk to people about that i often i actually get into debates with people who say well actually not everybody needs to have that adrian you know depending on the industry someone might say well i don't need to it doesn't matter if i have a presence online it doesn't matter if when you google my name nothing comes up and you know people will often push back and say you know what i don't want to have it just you know half a million twitter followers or, or a youtube mm. channel like you said and i and i often say to them look it's not about this idea of influence isn't about okay everyone should have a podcast or everyone should try and amass a big following online for the sake of it or just to I don't know have the status or, or the the approval of others but I actually think that it's just not only advantageous but essential essential today that in a world as you said there's so many different things bombarding us it's competitive if you have nothing if I if I google your name and absolutely nothing comes up or maybe just I don't know a, ter a, a terrible photo that you don't want people to see I mm. personally think no matter what industry you are no matter what age or stage doesn't matter if you're 15 or mm. 50 I think that that is important so yeah would you agree that everybody needs to think about this or is it actually only if you want to yeah, create content. Well, look, the only people who don't it would be people who are born into extremely wealthy families and they know they're going to get the lot anyway and <laughs> they just want to keep quiet about it. Um, but even still, it's funny, even the wealthiest families at the moment are still focused on building their own family brand, their kids' brands, their brands. Um, we, see, we see a lot of that. But for, for regular everyday people, the first asset you're able to build is your personal brand. Um, and that's going to be the doorway to all sorts of other opportunities. That's going to be the thing that um, opens the door for better opportunities at work, better opportunities uh, to go networking. Uh, maybe a mentor uh, will come through that. Uh, maybe like-minded friends are going to come through that opportunity. So these are all really important um, things when, you, when you're starting and you want to build. So for example, uh, there is the Google test, which you which you mentioned. And that is, you know, if I, let's say, for example, someone wants to work at my company and they contact me and they say, hey, I've heard about what you do and I'd love to meet with you. If I Google them and absolutely nothing comes up, uh, I'm going to assume that they're just starting out on their journey. They're very entry level, they're very early stage um, and that they haven't really done much or achieved much. Uh, if I Google them and I see that they've got followers and I see that they post content and that they've written some articles, I don't care if they've got hundreds of thousands or any of that sort of stuff, but if they're active and if they're um, you know, engaged, then it gives me much more of a flavor that this is someone who's ambitious and this is someone who has actually already started putting down some roots and they're already um, you know, achieving things. So that means that I'm going to think of them as a as more high level opportunity. Maybe I'm going to bring them in as a senior person. Maybe I'm going to bring them in as a more highly paid consultant. Um, so that perception is everything, and it it uh, it might shave six months worth of <laughs> worth of uh, work off just simply having a little bit of a, a thoughtful profile. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that across many different industries, actually, people are yeah really paying attention to people's profiles online and also not just because as you said doesn't matter how many followers or but actually looking at 
the kind of the kind of work that they put out, I suppose, and, and as you said, the values, the things they care about, the things that we talk about and sh the way we show up, as you described, that they are all indicators, actually, of the kind of work that we want to do, the kind of impact that we want to have. Mm. Now, I think that the challenge that some people might have, it's definitely a challenge that I have, is around focus and clarity. So something that I took away from your book, I was listening to it whilst I was running, and I just kept thinking... I'm someone, you know, I do so many different things. So for example, I host this podcast. I host a show for BBC Radio One. I consult for different brands in well-being and technology and innovation and startups. I'm an author of, of, a, of a book and potentially a second book. So again, already the list's getting long. So then if you, if someone says to me, okay, tell me in 90 seconds, what do you do? Why do you do it? Who do you help? Depending on the day, depending on the topic or the project, I feel like my answer might be different. And for many people, are you are you familiar with uh, Emma Gannon, the multi-hyphen method? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So she talks about this a lot and says that, you know what, we can have multi-hyphens and we can be this and this and this and this, and we don't have to just be one thing, but we do have to have a thread, surely, that ties together what we do so that it's kind of yeah clear for other people so what's your advice around that if someone is like me and they do loads of different things how can they I, I suppose define the focus for other people because for me it's fine like, I know I know what I'm the mission I, yeah. I know what I'm doing but for others it might be confusing I can relate uh, I've got seven companies uh, across three time zones we do publishing we do media we do technology we do training I've got uh, four books uh, exactly right so the whole the whole thing I totally totally get that so here's the first couple of rules the first rule is that there's different types of pitches there's there's a pitch that is when you don't know who you're talking to and I would call that a social pitch and it's just you're, you're broadcasting to the world you're uh, you're not sure who you're talking to, so you're just kind of going to answer the question, what do you do, with a social pitch that is designed to give people enough that it opens a conversation if they're going to be remotely in interested or it closes the conversation down if there's no common ground. Um, so that would be a social pitch. The next one is a scheduled pitch, and a scheduled pitch is where you do know who you're talking to, um, you've had a chance to research them, and you can tailor and customise that pitch. So there are different pitching um, opportunities. A uh, couple of things. Pitching is not your Wikipedia page. So your your job is not to be accurate. Your job is to do something that's useful and useful might be just starting a conversation. So even pitching something that's funny and engaging and gets people to sort of say, well, tell me more about that could actually be better than giving them all the things that you do. Um, if you were to if you were to joke and say something silly like you know I help penguins once they fall fall down I help them get it back up on their feet, it's like what that makes no sense at all. But that would be more useful than than accurate, right? It's just something silly. But um, and then there's you know um, the, the, so rule number one is it's not your Wikipedia page. It's also not therapy. So when someone says tell me about you and tell me about yourself. What you do not want to say is, well, actually, I do all sorts of things and I'm, you know, I do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, you know, this is not your career counselor. This is not your therapist. This is this is someone saying, please just give me a simple starting point uh, that we can talk about. Uh, next rule I would say about pitching is that it's always for the other person's benefit, not for your benefit. So mm -hmm. rather than rather than uh, trying to have clarity, your job is to try and create clarity for the other person. Um, rather than trying to have a focus, your job is to focus the other person onto something that you want them to focus on. 
so you're trying to get clarity and focus into the other person, not into yourself, which is a bit of a kind of a, a twist on what most people think uh, it's about. So if you think about in like Netflix shows, uh, in a Netflix show, let's say there's 12 episodes of a show. In episode number one, all they really want to do is just establish the characters and they just want to kind of give you a little bit of a hook as to reason to a reason to watch episode two. And in episode two, they want to develop the story and a reason to watch episode three. And basically, they know that they've got to get you to be excited about the 12 episodes, but they can't try and pack all 12 episodes into the first episode, right? Mm -hmm. they, they can't get all that information into just the very first, um, first uh, 45 minutes. So anyway, let's talk about how you do it. So here's the, here's the absolute cornerstone of doing a social pitch. You've got to share with people what your name is and what your name of what it is that you do. So for me personally, I'd say I'm Daniel Priestley. I'm the founder and CEO of Dent Global. Um, that would be a, a standard way that I might open. I'm giving you the name of myself and my company. Um, so I, I meet a lot of people who don't share their name. They just say, oh, I'm a this. And I'm, I'm actually thinking, oh goodness, I've forgotten their name. Uh, right. so, so name and the name of what you do. Now, if you know that they know your name, you could just go straight into, I'm the founder and the CEO of this, or I'm, I'm, uh, I run a group of companies uh, focused on such and such, right? So you're just gonna go with just the name. And then the same, the next part is the same, so name same, and just give people something that is a really low resolution, like what roughly what you do. So you might say, I work in the media. Um, I, work, uh, I work in um, media and communications, right? Something that's not necessarily accurate, but it's enough for people to go, okay, I kind of get, I, I, I get a little bit about what it is that you do. Um, so you might say, I work in the media, digital media, like uh, I, I work in traditional media like radio and also new media like podcasting. You might just say something that is enough for them to just go, okay, I can talk about that. I can think about that, it, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So name, then same. Then the next one is fame. What makes you special? So you might say, I've worked, I, I have a BBC One radio station, a radio show. Uh, so that's fame. It's like, oh, wow, cool, that's pretty cool. Or I've written a book. Uh, or I have a YouTube channel. Um, or uh, for the last three years, I've been um, building an online store and we've got 4,000 uh, customers. So anything that is kind of like a little bit of a, this is what makes me different, or this is what's, you know, some, something that's kind of a little bit uplifting and exciting. So we've got name, same, fame. And then the next one is aim and a game. Aim is what are you aiming at in the next 90 days? Like what is, what's your current focus? And game is like, what's something big that you're hoping for? So for me, I might say um, I've just launched a book called Scorecard Marketing, uh, and I'm promoting uh, promoting it in the entrepreneur community. Uh, we're hoping to get 5,000 copies into people's hands between now and Christmas. Um, that would be an aim. And the game is uh, my focus is to develop entrepreneurs who stand out, scale up, and make a positive impact in the world. So stringing that all together, I'd say I'm Daniel Priestley. I'm the CEO of Dent Global. Uh, we do training and development for entrepreneurs. Uh, I've written four best-selling books on entrepreneurship. I've recently written a new book called Scorecard Marketing. We're getting 5,000 copies into people's hands in the next 90 days. Um, and the big game is to develop entrepreneurs who are solving meaningful problems in the world. So that would be name, same, claim to fame, aim and a game. Whoa, 
I mean, already, you see, I said, didn't I, at the start of this episode, people need to listen and learn. So I hope that, I mean, you need a, you need a notebook and a pen. You need to write this down <laughs> and then essentially, you know, go through the steps and figure out, yeah, what could that be for me? You know, what would I say there? What would I say here? And I think I've got a few things that I've just been writing down, actually, myself, as you were talking, maybe a few challenges that people might have. One is that if you say I'm the, you know, the founder and I'm the CEO of this company or, you know, I'm an author of this book or mm-hmm. then people might say, well, that, that sounds impressive. That sounds good. You've already, you've already got, you know, a, a, a great start. Whereas some people mm-hmm. might say, well, actually, I haven't got, you know, something really impressive like that to say. Does it matter? Is there something, you know, you mentioned around talking about not listing your, just your achievements, but saying this is what I hope to do, or this is what I'm trying to do. Do you think that's also a good way yeah, to Yeah, so the hope, hope to do and trying to do is the aim and the game part. Yeah. And the name and the same part should not actually be that exciting. I'm da- like I could say I'm Daniel Priestley. I work in sales at a company um, called called uh, Microsoft. Um, I, I'm Daniel Priestley. Uh, I uh, I'm a student at uh, such and such university. Mm. So the, the name and same is just like a really clear kind of like just a, a starting point. In fact, if anything, it's really powerful to drive the energy down and make yourself more boring than you actually are at the beginning because it creates a hook. So if you just say, um, I'm Daniel Priestley and uh, I'm currently looking for a business opportunity because I don't have one, right? You'd go, oh, this guy sounds pretty lame. And then if I said, uh, that's because I recently sold my last company um, and I don't have to work anymore, so I'm now looking for the next thing. And it's like, oh, that sounds really cool. So if you drive energy down first and then bring it back up, it creates a hook mm. moment. That's what actually a hook is all about. A hook is uh, hooking people with the low energy than the high energy. So you can start with just name and you know um, name and same. And then fame can be anything like this. Fame could be um, I work at a. I've just started working at a company run by a really interesting entrepreneur or. Um, the company that I work with has won an award uh, for the best place to work recently. Mm. Or um, uh, I've just been working on a project to get uh, to build an email list of 50,000 subscribers. And it's like, oh, okay. So it's just something that you've been working on that is a little bit stand out, a little bit different. And at every stage of your career, you're going to have a new thing. You're going to have something you've achieved. Um, at the early stages of my career, I might say um, I'm really fortunate to work for a mentor uh, to be employee number three at a startup and we're now growing really rapidly yeah something that's something that's insightful and interesting as you said that is it's going to hopefully engage the person in conversation and, and lead lead to something else I think I often talk to people about you know, when you work in a company and they might have a mission statement, you know, the words on the wall, people kind of know this is the mission statement for this company. We're all, you know, trying to solve this problem or moving in the same direction. And I often encourage people if they're an entrepreneur or if they've got a small business or they work for themselves to almost create their own mission statement that says mm-hmm. what you're trying to do, because not only does it, I think, yeah, align to what you mentioned around values and knowing that what your North Star is, but it's also, I think, been very helpful for me to share that with others. Because if I say to people, I'm someone who helps ordinary people to achieve extraordinary things, then some people might roll their eyes and go, oh, that's a bit vague. But essentially, that is what I do via the podcast, via books, via keynotes. That's essentially what I'm doing. It's, it's, it's motivation. It's practical motivation. So I think it's very helpful for people to create their own mission statement and to go through the five totally. things that you listed. 
for me personally, it's develop entrepreneurs who stand out, scale up, make a dent. That's my yep. that's my personal mission. I want to uh, so standing out is like having a brand and key person of influence and that sort of stuff. Scaling up is like the entrepreneurial journey and the technology and the services to scale up. And then making a dent is selecting meaningful work to do and solving meaningful problems in the world. So for me, I use that as my north star. Develop mm -hmm. entrepreneur. Is when I look at a project, I go, is this project helping me to develop entrepreneurs who will stand out, scale up, and make a positive impact? Yeah, exactly. It's super aligned. And as I said, I can see from the from following your content on online, it definitely does do that. And it has had that impact uh, for me. So mentioned at the start about Gen Z. So apparently, according to Refinery29, 42% of Gen Z now have a side hustle. And The Guardian also shared an article recently reporting that Gen Z are turning their they're nine to five, they're turning their back on it and they're looking at their personal passions and turning those into full-time jobs. So I think that the generation of Gen Z are, I think they're maybe the first generation to truly embrace the idea that having a job does not mean you have job security. Having a job means you have the illusion of job security and that when people used to say entrepreneur, so you know, it's such a risky thing and it's not for everyone. I, I do agree it's probably not for everyone, but I don't necessarily think that we view entrepreneurship as, the, as this risk-taking thing that we used to. So what do you think about this idea that 42% of Gen Z now have a side hustle? Are you surprised by that stat? Uh, do you think that it's uh, a good thing? Well, if you look at Gen Z, they've um, come of age uh, around the time of you know the global financial crisis um, and the the aftermath of the global financial crisis. So you know, in two thousand and eight, right up until two thousand and eight, um, it was unthinkable that banks or big massive corporates would just be able to collapse and go insolvent, go broke, and um, all of those sorts of things would happen. As a, as a way of responding to the 2008 global financial crisis, the governments of the world pumped all of this money into the economy, which massively inflated the cost of housing. And that was something they did to try and rescue the financial system. But the, the negative symptom of that or side effect of that is that houses now cost um, you know, exponentially more than, uh, more than incomes. So if you take my parents, for example, my parents bought a house when I was a little kid, uh, like, I don't know, two or three years old or something like that, I think they bought a house that was maybe $60,000 in Australia. And at the time, mum was earning 25000 and dad was earning 25000 So wow. their combined household income was enough to cover pretty much what one year of household income was enough to cover the, the first house that they uh, bought. The second house they bought... Uh, they were earning a little bit more and they bought a place for $90,000. Now that place, I remember that house that they bought for $90,000, that's currently on the market for $1.45 million. Um, now, wages uh, in that same city uh, haven't moved that much. Plenty of people in, you know, earning $70,000 in Australia to $100,000, that's great. Let's say you've got a couple who each earn $100,000 each. Now you've got $200,000. But even their household income to combined, the cost of that basic little house is seven times, seven years worth of their average income. 
So what's happened is Gen Z have looked at this and they've made a very intelligent decision, which is there's got to be another way to get ahead. There's got to be other things I can do. There's no job security. There's no um, home security of just buying a house and waiting. I've missed the boat on houses. I've missed the boat on job security. So where do I go to create security? So at the same time that all of that's happened, the cost of starting a company has dropped through the floor. All of their entrepreneurial hero, all their heroes, the people who have succeeded uh, entrepreneurs who have built and sold companies. When they look at Dragon's Den and Shark Tank, they see people who have built and sold companies. When they, you know, when they go to the um, local uh, uh, petrol station and they see someone pull up in a Ferrari, they know that that person who has a Ferrari is doing something like entrepreneurship or something. They're not, it's, it's definitely not someone who's like a nurse at the NHS or, mm. or a school teacher. So they know that, you know, the people who have the, you know, who, who are outside of the system, who have got security are the ones typically who have got some form of uh, business going on. So it makes a lot of sense. Now, if you go back to when I was a kid, uh, my grandfather would never, ever, ever advise me to be an entrepreneur or business owner because in order to start a business back in 1980, let's say, in today's money, it probably meant a minimum of 75,000 pounds to 150,000 pounds just to set up your phone lines, your bank accounts, your desks, uh, mm. and, and to be able to do absolutely anything at all would have cost 75,000 pounds. Now, if you look today, you can start a business with the stuff that's lying around your house and probably spend £35 setting up a company, use an app to open a bank account, um, you know, and maybe get, I don't know, a few hundred pounds worth of subscriptions uh, plugged in and now you've got yourself a business. Yeah, I mean, I would argue you can start your business for for actually zero. Well, near near I mean, zero, I mean, yeah. Yeah, near zero. Some people will probably push back on that and say, well, no. But I think if you have a smartphone, I think now you can start your, you know, creating content. Yeah, near, start... near zero marginal cost because you've probably already got a bank account and you've already got a smartphone and you've already got a credit card and you've already got a, a PayPal account. So, yeah, like most people have got that stuff already. Um, so there's really almost almost no marginal additional cost. Mm, yeah, I agree. So the so the gateway or the uh, the access, I suppose, is is uh, it's a lot more available to people now. But what about, I suppose, this idea that I guess if any if everyone can do it and anyone can do it, then surely this this a, supply and demand is obviously a basic economics when it comes to business. So if everyone has a smartphone and everyone has, let's say, a YouTube mm. channel, a Twitter account, an Instagram account, everyone, then yeah, well, how does this supply and demand? How do we, I suppose? rise to the top or, or create something of value that stands out enough to actually start to create revenue to create profit uh, online let me let me cover this in a couple of different ways the first thing is we've got to just simply acknowledge the elephant in the room and the elephant in the room is that we're moving into a completely different economic model um, than we've come out of so the industrial revolution has finished uh, yep. You know, there was there was once upon a time there was the agricultural age where everyone worked in farms. Quite literally, eighty percent, ninety percent of people worked on farm and and food production, and almost you know every single person's ancestors would have been working somewhere related to farming and food production for a long time, for thousands of years. And then along comes a technical technological shift. We have the industrial age, and that gives birth to a new economic system called capitalism. 
um, and mm-hmm. is new economic uh, reality and a new social contract. And the social contract is all about like working in a factory and then you know get, getting up into management and then paying off some assets and then having a little bit of a retirement. So there was kind of like a social plan or a social contract associated with that. And that took us right up until let's say 2000. But where we are right now is we're, do- we're at the very beginning of an entirely new age, a new era, um, this digital world that we live in. And this next hundred years is not gonna be anything like the last hundred years. And the reason for that, in the last hundred years, we went from one to two billion people on the planet to seven or eight billion people on the planet. So we had an explosion of, of population and everyone needed new stuff and new homes and new clothes and new food and all of that. The population is now gonna go stagnant or decline in the next, um, in the next hundred years. Um, and a hundred years ago, most people on the planet lived in abject poverty. There was a very, very, very small number of people, a tiny number of people who, who were not in poverty, but the vast majority of people lived in what we would consider today to be poverty. So we had to bring those standards up and that, in, that had a lot of economic activity associated with it. But those standards in most parts of the world have actually uh, dramatically shifted. Um, and then the next thing is like fertility. Uh, you know, it used to be that women had three to four children and now we've got one to two children per, per woman. Um, so there's all these sh- shifts and changes in society and we're going into a very different society um, than before. So part of it is that we can't, you know, we've got to accept that it's a brave new world and that we've now got to um, carve a new path and, and try things, right? We've got to be willing to, to surf waves and see how we go at surfing and see what works and see what doesn't work. Uh, we've got to be willing to have a look at different business models and be have a, keep an open mind and say, oh, maybe that YouTuber is onto something. Maybe that mm. person who makes their money playing computer games is actually onto something. So it's about having that open mind and looking at what's emerging and not judging which is probably the superpower that gen z has gen z has the superpower Mm. of not not knowing much prior to their you know their birth obviously and therefore that they're more open-minded uh about what might work so that's great so then the final thing i'll say on that question is the baby boomers are actually retiring baby boomers are the biggest part of the generation people born 1946 to 1964 they're people who are normally around 65 to 75 years old right now and that is the biggest part of the economy and they're getting rid of their businesses they're closing their businesses down they're winding their businesses back um, and they have two-thirds of all the revenue going through their businesses now this is going to create massive opportunities um, for any really smart baby uh, for any smart gen z they're going to take over the baby boomer businesses they're going to say oh wait a second there's a business that repairs elevators and it makes three million a year i'm going to take that over and there's a business that does mot's and that makes two million a year i'm going to take that uh there's a business over there that uh, does dry cleaning and i'm going to take that one there's a business that does accounting and, and legal i'm going to take over that so there's going to be these huge there's a massive 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 shift um, towards uh, baby boomers retiring and new people having to come and fulfill those needs in a, in a new and more modern way. So the biggest wealth transfer ever is about to happen. 
Yes, and this to me sounds incredibly exciting. Honestly, hearing that really clear overview, thank you for sharing it in such an articulate way and in a way that people can really kind of, yeah, start to look back at the past, the present, and of course, look towards the future. I call myself a futurist because I look a lot at innovation and future things. It's literally a project that I'm working on right now is literally about, yeah, what's the next 10 years going to look like across technology, well-being, wearable devices, mm. and how how is it going to impact how we all live and, and how we consume. So a couple of things you said there around, yeah, these signals of change and being able to, you said about Gen Z, have this superpower to to really be open-minded and kind of connect the dots. So when they see these signals of change, thinking, oh, if people are now behaving in that way or no, no longer interested in those things, they're going to become irrelevant. And I think if more, I don't know, maybe if, if more leaders of companies who potentially are in their 60s, in their 50s, late 40s, if they could really access and harness and listen to those younger employees and listen to the people, you know, a lot of boards of companies, they're all over the age of 50. You know, often mm -hmm. if I'm in a room where I'm consulting, I'm literally the youngest person in the room and I'm 35. So often I think there's this real disconnect actually there. And if we could, yeah, I think really listen to the next generation, their ideas, mm -hmm. the signals of change and observe what they actually care about, what they want, I really think that's gonna be a huge unlock as well. Uh, t totally. And, um, you know, there's there's something wonderful that can happen. It rarely happens, but it can happen. And it's when someone who is older has a really high quality, respectful relationship with someone who's younger and the younger person benefits from the mentorship uh, and the experience and the older person benefits from the creativity, energy, innovation and foresight of the younger person. And if, if ever you can, if anyone can cultivate that kind of relationship where essentially you have someone who's a little bit, little bit older with someone who's, you know, coming up for me personally, that was my, that was how I got started. Right. So I became a, you know, successful entrepreneur by 24, 25. I had a $10 million company when I was 24, 25 years old. Um, and, and that was back, you know, in 2005. So one of the things that that allowed that to happen or probably the main thing that allowed that to happen is i had a mentor i had a guy who was 38 39 years old when i was 19 so he was 20 years older than i was and he had a really respectful relationship with me where he was interested in the types of things i was noticing and he was super helpful for, at guiding my career we did a startup together i was employee number three at his startup and and we ended up uh, building to 60 people in two years and I just learned so much working with this guy. And then, um, uh, and then where we ended up was uh, having this really great, respectful, you know, he, he would learn from me and I'd learn from him. And, um, you know, it was around the time of dot-com and <laughs> as silly as yeah. it sounds like email and <laughs> like that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's a really great point for individuals, but also for, as I say, the company, the boards of companies, you know, business leaders themselves to actually question and look around and say, actually, are we looking and listening to to the next generation or do we kind of, yeah, I think sometimes they poo poo, you know, all the, the Snapchatters or the TikTokers and it's kind of, oh, that, you know, our customers are not those people. And it's, it's mm. always, it's almost laughable to me because I'm like, your customers are those people and they certainly will be in the next 10 years. So one thing that I wanted to talk about, we mentioned this word disruption a few times. Now, Twitter, of course, in the last few weeks has had a lot of disruption. I feel like it's like mm. a daily, it feels like a daily soap opera at the moment. But uh, I follow you on Twitter and you're very active. You share a lot of valuable content. So 
I guess I just wanted to talk about Twitter as a platform and how you think it compares to other platforms that maybe prioritize video content or audio content. I've, I kind of, I enjoy Twitter, but I don't post loads of content. Although ironically, I always tell other people, you know, you should be on Twitter and you should, you know, create content for Twitter. And sometimes they just look at me and go, oh, is it really worth it? Mm. Like what's the ROI? Mm. So yeah, what do you think about, there's a lot of questions in here, but essentially, how to engage an audience and whether Twitter is is a platform right now where you think it's worth giving time, effort and attention. So Twitter is an amazing listening platform for most people. The, the key exciting thing about Twitter is the ability to tap in to conversations that are with people who could be geographically anywhere, but who are sharing the same thought at the same time. So if I go onto Twitter search and I say, all right, I want to search for people talking about um, blues guitar uh, and I search in blues guitar and I find a bunch of people who are talking about blues guitar and, and, and all of that. And I see some links to videos that are, that are kind of up and going and I, you know, start, I start following people and I start messaging people and all that sort of stuff. So it's like, if you imagine it's almost like this massive pub and you can just go and listen in on conversations and choose to join the conversation or walk away. Um, and that's, that's, the pro that's what Twitter's purpose is. It's a listening platform. Um, now, what most people try and do is use it as a broadcasting platform where they want to be heard. And it's a really noisy pub and you're talking louder and louder, but people are just turning their backs to you and drowning, drowning you out. And that typically does happen on Twitter that um, it's very hard to broadcast as soon as you recognize it's it's all about listening. So for me, the only reason I post stuff on Twitter really most of the time is just to create a signal that other people who are looking for that stuff can pick up on and that they can find me and that they can kind of pick up on that thread and pick up on that signal. Um, I find Twitter is just kind of a good place to document my thoughts and if I'm having a thought, it's like useful to be able to compose it into a tweet um, and see if I can get a little bit of a conversation going and if anyone taps into it. But if you don't really have a huge profile on Twitter, I would say that the main value is just going to be listening and tapping into conversations. So if you're starting a new business and you want to be targeting dentists, uh, Twitter's a great place to kind of go and see what dentists are talking about and, mm. and what's on their radar. Um, the number one, you know, the, the, the other play, if you want to broadcast, you know, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, they're going to be much better platforms for, for kind of getting your message out and creating mm -hmm. something that has a bit more test of time. It stands the test of time a little bit more tweets kind of disappear into the ether in 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And I think LinkedIn actually is having a real, well, it has been actually having a moment. It's not even just having a moment now. I feel like the last few years, people yeah. have really turned their attention to LinkedIn, not just, I think before people, it was, you know, professionals platform and people felt like it was probably kind of like the most formal and the most boring social media platform. Whereas I definitely mm. think they've done an incredible job of showcasing creativity, getting creators Something's on there. Something's happening. Yeah, Something's for sure. really happening with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, it's really I, I hated I hated LinkedIn so much. I <laughs> honestly thought that if I was trapped in a bunker and the only way of communicating with the outside world was LinkedIn, I probably would die and just not talk to anyone because I just hated LinkedIn so much. Um, but now I love it. It's weird. I'm I'm all over it. I'm talking I don't know what it was that happened or what changed. 
but suddenly like it's just revitalized and 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 from a work perspective anyone who's focused on their career i mean linkedin is such a great place you know if if twitter's a noisy pub linkedin is a conference and mm. you can meet people at the conference and you can talk to people at the conference and you can ask them business related questions and you can invite them would you be interested in talking about some business together and like that's totally yeah. acceptable yeah um, it's such you're so right it's such a different vibe such a different energy and i know that sounds strange but essentially exactly like you described if you imagine the noisy pub i feel like that noisy pub that you've described has got a lot of drunken hooligans in it whereas i feel like the linkedin mm. uh, conference has got a lot of uh, I don't people know, mind fi- their manners fine dining people, people, <laughs> yeah people mind their manners a lot better um you know, tw- Twitter, you can just get some random person on the other side of the world who takes a disliking to something you've said, and they won't let go. They're just, they're just aggressively, they'll yeah. respond to every tweet that you do. And they'll say, you know, you're, you know, you're this, you're that. And they, they would never do that in real life. If they met you in the real world, they would never talk to you like that. Yeah. Um, and then on Twitter that, you know, they're all hostile. There's no nuance on Twitter either, because it's short, very short posts. But um, on LinkedIn, uh, everyone seems to have their manners and they they don't want to they don't want to look bad in front of their friends yeah i agree although other employees or it feels like it's much more of a mm. yeah protected uh profiling space which is it's great and i yeah myself as well i'm spending a lot more time on linkedin i think it's going to be a lot of cool things happening there so get involved in linkedin a good place to start and 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 clarify your professional brand so Mm. i'm conscious of time because there's so many things i could discuss with you but i think i want to kind of take the conversation to a little bit more i guess you know we've talked so much about the content that you do you know value add for the listener but i think from a personal perspective for, for you something that i you know talk a lot about and i suppose my area of expertise is well-being so you know i've worked in the well-being industry for over 10 years and Mm. performance well-being essentially is something that i you know, try to encourage entrepreneurs to think about. So the basic things, you know, around sleep and exercise, mindfulness, diet, you know, energy management, mm. essentially. So I guess I'd like to hear a little bit from you about that, if that's okay, and how, you know, if we want to solve big problems, if we want to share ideas, if we want to build businesses, we can't do those things if we are exhausted, uninspired, drained, burnt mm. out. So how do you, Daniel, personally approach well-being and energy management? So I've come to realize that everyone's a little bit different um, when it comes to the way they like to work. And, you know, humans are different, right? So some people see the side of blood and they faint and they pass out or they vomit. And some people see the side of blood and they think, oh, wow, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a surgeon. I want to, I want to, uh, you know, I want, I want to do this as a profession, right? So humans are very different in the way that we react, react to, to things. Um, when it comes to work, some people are very drained uh, quite quickly. They're very creative and they have these creative spikes, but it doesn't last long. Some people are more marathon runners. They can, you know, work all day. Um, and, you know, you've got to kind of figure out how you work best and how you create the most value and what times of day work for you and what your rhythm is, you know. So some people... Um, Uh, like the first thing that I pick up on that you said is this energy management, right? So all of creativity comes from energy. We have to have creative energy. And there's a really good rule about energy, which is that vitality is worth more than functionality. So functionality 
is the ability to perform a task. That's the definition of functionality. Vitality is to be irreplaceable or a life force. So the irreplaceable life force is a, is a good way to think about it. So if you think about who gets paid the most, it's not the person who can perform the task, it's the irreplaceable life force of the task. It's the person who brings the task to life. Um, mm. And we have to become the, irre like as entrepreneurs, the we have to become pin. the irreplaceable, yeah, we're the irreplaceable life force, the linchpin, the key person of influence, we're the driving force. So you can't do that. You can like you can drive Uber with low energy. You don't have to have creativity. You can just follow the map and you could just be an Uber driver or, or a delivery driver and you don't need any real creative spark uh, to do that. But as soon as you want to build anything of great value and you want to be the driving force of it, you're going to need energy. So I'm super fortunate, right? I have this superpower that nine times out of 10, as soon as my head hits the pillow, I go to sleep and I sleep for at least seven to eight hours, right? So that's this is this incredible thing that I've just been lucky, like super lucky, because I know there are people who struggle to fall asleep. But, as, but for my whole life, when I lay down and put my head on the pillow, I'm out and I'm out within a few minutes and I sleep for seven or eight hours. And that's been one of the very key things to my success that I'm always well slept. Um, or most of the time I'm always well slept. So that's been, that's been um, useful. The other thing too is for me personally, when I go through a creative burst, as soon as I'm not feeling it, I'll just kind of um, do something else. <laughs> right? I'll, I'll, I'll might take a walk or I'll meditate or I might um, have a shower or go to the gym and then I'll get back into it. So I, I'm really lucky that I've been able to work in a, in a way like that. I stack things in my favor. Uh, with my energy. I always love to work to instrumental house music. Um, I love to, you know, have the right lighting and, and all of that sort of stuff. And I'm doing that because I want high performance. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm doing things to protect and preserve my energy because I want to work hard. I want to create as much as I possibly can. Well, it sounds like, you know, being able to list those things so clearly in that way, it sounds like you're someone, of course, who's been intentional about creating that environment, you know, creating an environment where it's actually not only optimal for you to work and achieve and succeed, but it's also makes it harder to fail, right? Because you know those things that are going to help you. So I, I really hope that people can start to think about that for themselves. You know, what are the things in their environment? What are the, the you know, I talk about daily habits, routines, mm. tools. And I think sometimes as well, you know, I give these reminders and often I think, oh, everybody knows this stuff. You know, everybody knows that we need to exercise every day or we need to get at least mm. move our bodies every day. Or everybody knows that, like you just mentioned about sleep being important, but actually, even if we know it, I think the reminders of saying actually mm. the most you know the most in, intentional people or the most people might think successful people they still have these these frameworks they still have things they don't just wake up and just I don't know go with the flow and do whatever they feel like and they just happen to be really successful you know there's there's a real let, method let to me it. share let me share some method that maybe hasn't been shared before then um one here's one thing that I've I've done and I've actually done this pretty it's going to sound pretty uh elite but it's um it's actually something I started with pretty early mm. so I have uh, an assistant who schedules my diary and um what I do with my assistant is I and mind you when I first got an assistant you had to have an assistant working with you in your office actually at an office and now you can have a virtual assistant in the Philippines or something like that for a fraction of the cost and just for however many hours you need so this is not as radical as it might sound but um, what one of the things that I do with my assistant 
is I talk about what am I trying to achieve in the next 90 days. We actually have a meeting where we talk about what are, what are, what are the big goals, what are the big outcomes, what are the big things that I'm trying to get done in the next 90 days. And then I throw all of the possible stuff to my assistant that comes in and she says no to like 50% of stuff and then schedules the stuff based upon my priorities. And on top of that, she will schedule time in for me to take the kids to school. She'll schedule time in for me to just take a break in the middle of the day. Um, she'll schedule time in for me to get from meeting A to meeting B. She'll move meetings around so that I don't have to travel between def destinations as much. Um, so, you know, that that has been phenomenal. I would never have done that on my own. I would never be so diligent. But having an assistant whose job is to put together a really good diary each week um, of, of high value activities is, is like totally key. Um, so that I, you know, that may not have been something that others have shared, but that's something that mm. works incredibly well for me. And then the other thing I'll say about energy is rewards. So the human brain re reacts and responds to rewards. And we, this is why we get addicted to things that give us fast rewards like TikTok or, um, you know, or uh, social media in general. But one of the things that you must do if you're going to be an entrepreneur is celebrate your little wins. You've got to make, you've got to make time to pat yourself on the back. So I don't know if this is true or not, but it feels true. I think that the human brain has got a system built in that if you're not seeing rewards, it just puts the brakes on. It does not want you to do stuff that's not rewarding. So if you're working hard, working hard, working hard, working hard, but your income's not going up, your brain's not silly and it's going, this isn't working. Um, and if you're working hard, working hard, working hard, and your life isn't getting better, you're not moving into a nicer house and you're not, no one's patting you on the back and no one's saying, well done, your brain is just going to go, uh -uh, this is not, this is not a good use of time. So it's going to put the brakes on and it does that through hormones and emotions and all that sort of stuff. So one of the things I notice is that if you like delayed gratification is great, but if you don't celebrate your wins, if you don't pat yourself on the back, if you don't find ways to show yourself that you're doing the right thing, that you're on the right path, then your brain gets bored and fed up real fast and just puts yeah. the brakes on. Um, so I think rewards is a really important thing. Yeah, I think both of those things that you've just said, the, ninth, the next 90 days and having an assistant that can essentially make your time so much more efficient is just, I mean, it sounds mm. like an absolute game changer, not only because, not in the sense of, yeah, just productivity and every hour being filled, but all of those things that you said around actually eliminating and, and almost handing over some of that responsibility to someone mm -hmm. who's, you know, she knows the goal and if she says no to something, it's because it's not going to take you towards that goal. doesn't fit the goal. And she doesn't have the emotion around it. <laughs> Yes, and we, it's so hard to be disciplined to do that ourselves. And then secondly, I love what you said about the rewards. And I think, uh, you know, it's definitely something that I don't do enough of. And I was actually speaking to a friend this week. And I think for me personally, maybe it's the maybe it's the attention-seeking child or, or sibling of four that, that needs it from other people more than myself. And so I was mm -hmm. actually chatting to a friend and saying, you know, even if it, it might sound lame, but even if like every Friday when we check in with each other, it's like, okay, what's one thing we've done well this week and achieved and like telling the other person. So, so her, she has That's to tell me and perfect. I have to tell her. Yeah. That is a perfect example of giving, of ensuring that you get rewards. 
um, having a check-in buddy, uh, Monday and Friday, where you start with the Monday, because here's the thing, I have, I have a company, we've got about 100 people who work in the company uh, across, the, you know, across the companies. Um, we do Monday morning huddles across all the businesses where everyone basically says what they're up to this week and what are their, we, we, we run something called a three to six thing list. So three to six list is what are the three to six most important things that I've got coming in the week ahead and what am I gonna have done by Friday? And then on Friday, we do a three to six things strike through where everyone gets to celebrate what they've done and they actually strike through and say, yeah, I got this done, I got this done, I got this done. Um, now, if you don't have a company with all your team and employees and managers, then you wanna have a buddy. And on Monday morning, you wanna have a Monday morning huddle where you say, this is what I'm focused on in the week ahead. And this is my three to six things, most important things. And then on Friday afternoon, you wanna have a little huddle with them on Zoom or on, you know, or, or physically catch up in a, in a bar and basically say, uh, I, did, I got that done, I got that done. I didn't get that done, but I'm working on it next week. And I got that done, I got that done. And then you celebrate together and say, yeah, great, congratulations. And you, you, de you debrief and end the, end the um, week on a high. Yes, I love it. And as I said, it's a new, new thing I'm, I'm committing to, but I can already feel the accountability and I can already feel myself almost, yeah, patting myself on the back and thinking, yeah, actually, instead of looking at all the things you've still got to do, actually look and go, this is something you set out to do mm. this week and you've ticked it off. It was a big thing. So yes, this is all good stuff. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Okay, my final part of the show and my final question, sadly, because I could honestly talk to you for another hour. My final part of the show is about the concept of the power hour. So asking people like yourself what it is, we've touched on it a little bit already, but what it is that they do in the first hour of their day, what they're intentional about, if there's anything that they avoid in the morning, specifically the first hour, I call it the power hour. So can you tell <laughs> us, Daniel, typically what time you get up? I know you've got kids, I'm sure your house is busy, but what's the first uh... hour of your day like? This is going to be so unglamorous, um, unfortunately. <laughs> so I wake up around seven o'clock um, and I've got three little kids. I've got four-year-old, five-year-old and um, eight-year-old. So the entire first hour and then some for me is getting kids dressed, getting them breakfast, um, getting the school uniforms on, um, dealing with, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. <laughs> right. Dealing with all of the dramas of the day. Ethan just stepped on my foot. Xander just broke my Lego. Right. So, um, dealing with all of the politics of, uh, of the morning and getting out the door on time and then dropping the kids at school. So realistically, my day doesn't start until I've dropped the kids at school. Um, yeah. And then uh, I normally start my day around 9.30 or 10 o'clock as far as anything work-related so that I've got, the, I've, I've got my, my buffer uh, after I've dropped the kids at school and I can kind of relax a little bit and start thinking about, uh, about that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. But I, I do have more of a power hour at, at night before bed. 
um, I'll journal uh, for like just four or five minutes, write down a few thoughts and just write down like, what am I, um, what am I focused, you know, what am I focused on or, or what, are, what do I need to get done? I'll often finish my work day by writing down some of the key things that I'm, that I need to get done soon. And I'll just have my little lists going um, and I'll have that ready to go in front of me the, the for the following day. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, the unglamorous answer is getting three kids to school is my power hour. No, you know what, though? I think a lot of people, I'm sure, will will be glad to hear that answer for lots of reasons. But, you know, I've, I've got quite a few friends that are business owners or entrepreneurs. And even even that choice in the morning, you know, that that is a choice that is intentional. So you creating your life and your and designing your life in a way that allows you to, as you've described to, you know, to be there in the mornings and to do those things, because as much as it's cliche, and so many parents will say, Oh, you Mm. know, it goes quickly. You know, the reality is my son is 11 now. And it really does go quickly. So I think Mm, even that, that, you know, there'll be a there'll come a point where maybe you come down in the morning to I don't know, turn on the coffee machine and, and there's no one and in your house already, anymore. They're already dressed, yeah. And, yeah, or, or they've the gone to, yeah, or they've gone to, maybe they've moved out, maybe they've gone to another country or they've gone to university yeah. or who knows. And I know that probably feels like for people when they've got a three-year-old, they like, yeah, that's not for a very long time. But I mm. think it's really great to also appreciate and recognize that even even the, the routine that you have right now, it's a choice and it won't yeah. last forever. It's, well, that was very conscious. I did a journaling session once where I said, what am I actually optimizing for? What's the most important thing to focus on? And when I journaled it through, I went, oh, wait a second. I have a very, very, very narrow window of having little kids preteen. Um, and I only get that time of my life once. And the beauty of entrepreneurship, the most awesome thing about entrepreneurship is that you've got a pretty long window with it. So statistically, 42 is the age that successful entrepreneurs start their company that makes them successful. And 57 is the age that they sell it. So if you take, if you actually take statistically how older people, when they sell a company for millions and the the statistical average is 57 and the person who sold a company for millions typically started at age 42. So that is that is like across big data. Um, so the beauty of that is you can sit there and go, actually, like I'm not even 42 yet. So actually, I'm just still in the preseason of my entrepreneurial career. I haven't even begun. Um, mm-hmm. I've just I'm, I'm still doing my apprenticeship. And age 42 <laughs> is when when the game actually begins. Um, but the beauty is, is that for me, you know, I realized that I've only got this narrow window with my kids and most of that narrow window now that they're at school is before school. You know, that's when I've got their undivided attention and that's when, you know, that's when it syncs up really well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm so pleased to hear that stat because I am 35, as I said, and I, I feel like it's very time. seven years before your, oh. before the game even begins. I've got seven more years. I'm just out here. And also, I'll be honest with you, I've got quite a lot Pre- of ideas pre-season. for Yes, I've got some ideas brewing at the moment around, yeah, entrepreneurial things, ventures, businesses. And I always feel this like I've got to do it yesterday. But actually, that's a really mm-hmm. great, um, a great word for me is that actually I've got seven more years to prepare. Yeah, you, you're, you're just doing your apprenticeship for the next seven years. And then you've got 15 years. Once you start something at 42, you've got 15 years to be on track for the average multi-million exit. So if you want to sell that business for millions, 
on average between 42 and 57. Um, so I guess the learning from that is you've got, A, you've got time, but B, you've got to enjoy the journey because it yeah, unfolds. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, well, that's the thing, yeah. isn't it? Because it's actually, a, a, you know, we talk about life is short and, you know, things go quickly, but actually you're right. Actually, life can be long. So enjoying that journey and process mm. is very, very important. I have loved this conversation so much. I'm sure the listeners have taken away so much value. I'm sure that they're going to hopefully reach out and, and let us know and also share this episode with someone else who you think would get value from it. Thank you so much, Daniel, for joining us. Absolutely, anytime. And you did mention it, but what is the latest book and where can people get it, of course? So the latest book is Scorecard Marketing. Uh, it, it really, it's focused on a detailed step-by-step -step process of how we launched an online lead generation campaign that scaled the businesses rapidly and, and predictably. Um, it's perfect for entrepreneurs who are just starting out and want to uh, generate their first customers and their first sales. Um, it's very easy, fast read. It's a short book. Uh, the first half is all about buy things. And the second half is how do you set up a lead generation campaign so that you can start selling more stuff. Um, so that's called Scorecard Marketing. It's on Amazon. If you do some searching, you'll find it around the internet. And if you follow me on social media and send me a message and say, hey, I'd just love to get a free copy, I'll send you a free copy. Awesome. Thank you so much, Daniel. And thank you everyone for tuning in. As always, I appreciate it. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.